0: we must all remember the lessons of the past as a guide for the management of the present and the planning for the future. I am the son of sugar workers who hasn't forgotten his roots. Welcome to the Pepper Pot. to rum, alaikum, and welcome to the pepper pot. Much like indentured Indians, rum has a long and complicated history in the Caribbean. Now perhaps you've heard of Treasure Island, where Robert Louis Stevenson speaks of those famous 15 men on the dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho in a bottle of rum. Or perhaps you've heard of the British sailors that were issued a daily ration of grog for their work.
1: By the late 1700s, the county of Demerara became a major center of rum production was over 300 distilleries operating within its borders. Each distillery had unique methods and recipes for making rum, resulting in various flavors and styles. Some distilleries focused on producing high-quality aged rums, while others produced lighter, more affordable rums for the mass market.
0: You see, the success of the rum industry reflects the wider economic and social changes that were taking place in the region. As the sugar industry grew and prospered, so did the rum industry. In fact, the two became closely intertwined with the systems of indentureship and slavery. By the 1850s, sugar plantations in British Guyana were producing over 12,000 tons of sugar per year, roughly three times as much as the 4,100 ton maximum produced under the Dutch in 1778. Indeed, rum was an essential source of income and employment for many people and played a significant role in British Guyana's economy and culture. Now, while slavery and indentureship have ended, The rum remains, millions and millions of gallons of it. I once read that the Caribbean can be many things to many people. Through generations of fairy tales, folklores, and one-too-many pirate movies, the Caribbean has become a region that is noted for both its myth of richness and its richness of myth. But before Bob Marley and the Wailers assured us that every little thing is going to be all right, there was Pancho de Leon's Fountain of Youth, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, the Bermuda Triangle, and of course, Walter Rayleigh's El Dorado, a fitting name for a bottle of rum and tea. Now, according to Kelly Moss, Esther and Adams, and Deborah Toner, the production and distribution of intoxicants had long been used in Demerara, Essequibo, and Berbice to control indigenous and enslaved populations. You see, distilled spirits, hemp, and opium help to suppress emotional pain and compel labor in conditions that might otherwise have been impossible. And this is why it's no surprise that studies show that our community is disproportionately affected by alcoholism with higher rates of alcohol use than any other group in the region. And while conversations about these issues are scarce in our community, the fact is that the exploitation and oppression that many indentured Indians experienced has contributed to the spread of alcoholism, intimate partner violence, intergenerational trauma and PTSD, as well as social and economic inequality throughout our community. For example, while the British banned planters from paying wages with rum in 1841, these reforms had little impact on drinking patterns among indentured Indians, as plantation owned stores and rum shops encouraged consumption. In addition to rum, indentured laborers turned to other substances like opium and cannabis to pass the time and escape the stress of poor living conditions and familial separation. But as substance abuse became more rampant among indentured Indians, reports and complaints of drunkenness and disorderly conduct skyrocketed. In fact, in 1873, the number of convictions for breaches of the peace tripled from 413 to 1,342. At the same time, convictions for petty theft for things such as rum increased from 630 to 918. By the 1880s, more than half of British Guyana's convictions were substance use related. In a 2018 study, the World Health Organization found that Guyanese males, on average, take their first drink. 11 and a half years old, compared to females at 12 and a half. Those statistics are among the worst in the Caribbean and are not the result of a new or sudden phenomenon. In fact, on a visit to Demerara in 1848, the abolitionist John Candler notes that drunkenness was common in the villages of Buxton and Friendship due to the establishment of five liquor stores in the space of one mile. You see, my ancestors expressed their frustration with plantation life through alcohol, From there, they release their anger violently on one another.
1: What do we mean when we say rum shop? These small makeshift establishments offer more than just rum and cutters. They are spaces where history, politics, economics, religion, and so much more converge through endless talking. Or,
0: as my people say, gaffing. They are spaces where family and friends are consumed by the hot and groovy rhythm of the latest Bollywood and Chutney hits that rain down from the speakers hanging precariously from the ceiling.
1: A place where slamming your hands on the counter and shouting at the person beside you is an expression of love and camaraderie. A place where the West Indies always seem to be playing cricket, no matter the time of day or year. These are spaces where our culture seems to live, but they also hold a glaring truth that many seem to overlook. The truth is that these spaces have and continue to exert violence on our people. These are spaces where our people have drowned in their sorrow, depression, and PTSD. Night after night, bottle after bottle, paycheck after paycheck. These spaces have stolen away fathers and brothers, mamus and chachas, ajas and nanas, and so much more.
0: You see, while rum shops offer a place to experience all the things that we have come to associate with our culture, the truth is that they take more than they offer. The abundance of rum shops and the ease with which alcohol can be obtained have contributed to high levels of alcoholism in our community. In fact, as planters continued to pay wages to indentured Indians with rum, and as more rum shops appeared in our communities, our people became dependent on the exact thing they were brought to the Caribbean to help produce. This dependency has since festered into a full-blown disease that has infected every aspect of our culture, including weddings, birthdays, and funerals. In fact, just last year, the head of the Guyana Hindu Dharmic Sabha, one of the largest religious organizations in Guyana, called on people to tackle the issue of rum drinking at Hindu celebrations, having already banned the sale of alcohol at its cultural shows and other events. But calls for reform will do little when the rum industry continues to create millions of dollars in revenue for shareholders. I mean, what harm would another drop of rum do? Mental health is something that is rarely talked about in our community.
1: Growing up, a firm mash of the head with a splash of limacol was the usual remedy for most ailments. It truly is the freshness of a breeze in a bottle. When that didn't work, Mom would jarry us to get rid of any sickness or obial we may have had. Five-piece pintabroom, broom, onion, garlic, mustard seed, and pepper. As I grew older, I learned quickly that there was no amount of limacol or pieces of broken broom that could help me overcome the battles raging on inside me.
0: I know from personal experience how difficult it can be to admit that you need help. What's even more challenging is finding the resources and the people to support you. You see, I never learned how to express my feelings in a healthy way or how to acknowledge when I was struggling with my mental health. Instead, I would do what those around me did. I gripped my teeth and marched forward regardless of the pain that I felt. I mean, how could I not? I grew up hearing stories of family and friends that went crazy and took their own life, and of others being locked away in one madhouse or another. So, like many of my brothers and sisters listening, I tucked my emotions and feelings away and pretended that I was brave enough to handle whatever came my way. I justified my decision time and time again until I was forced to confront everything head on. You see, Ly couldn't save me this time.
1: Before the British constructed a lunatic asylum, in Georgetown in 1842, to treat the local insane and pauper lunatics, they resorted to imprisoning the mentally ill. Some colonial officials recognized that social dislocation, combined with the cruelty of plantation life, had a direct and negative impact on the mental health of indentured laborers. Nevertheless, by the turn of the 19th century, most insisted that insanity was intimately linked to intoxication and criminality, which according to Kelly Moss, Estherine Adams and Deborah Toner contributed to a broader process of racializing British Guyana's laboring population, the majority of whom were Black and Indian. According to WF Law, the assistant medical superintendent of the lunatic asylum, Indian and Black patients made up 80% of asylum admissions in the 1880s and were most likely to be diagnosed with mania and dementia. In contrast, Patients of European origin were much more likely to be diagnosed with melancholia because, as W.F. Law writes, in the more lowly organized brain where the emotional predominates over the intellectual, insanity was given to develop itself as mania rather than as melancholia. Despite recognizing that there was a need for some form of intervention, these institutions were plagued by considerable defects and overcrowding, where water supply, bathing arrangements, and sewerage were all inadequate. What is more, insufficient funding meant that these institutions experienced prolonged sanitation and operational problems, especially as the patient population swelled from 170 to 640 between 1875 and 1890. Over a century later, many of these problems still persist. The
0: 2008 aims report on the mental health system in Guyana provides a synopsis of the situation. The current mental health system in Guyana is fragmented, poorly resourced, and not integrated into the general healthcare system. There are no national or institutional standards for mental healthcare, facilities, or human resources. In fact, the National Psychiatric Hospital is in substantial disrepair and significantly below the standard of facilities that provide for physical healthcare raising concern about the equitable treatment of the mentally ill.
1: From the start, our mental health has been overlooked or outright dismissed. It is no wonder Guyana has had one of the highest suicide rates in the world for so many years. Our communities lack the resources many of our people are so desperately in need of.
0: For the longest time, I saw rum as something that our people drank to feel better and something necessary to have a good time. From weddings to birthdays to civic holidays, rum always seemed to be the first and most important guest. And from my perspective, the best stories, dance moves, and jokes came out after a few rounds. In fact, by the time I took my first drink, I saw rum exactly the way that my family and friends did. It was something that on the one hand took the edge off, and on the other, brought out a side of me that I never knew existed. But as I grew older, I realized that rum was the root cause of many problems that my community faced. You see, rum offers us an escape. There was nothing in the world that a bottle of rum and some cutters couldn't fix. It eased our pain and forced us to suppress our feelings and emotions rather than confront them head-on. Instead of turning to religion or family or friends, we turned to rum, time and time again. And those actions eventually turned into habits, which our people quickly lost control of. Soon enough, rum and all the vices that came with it became the default way for our people to express themselves and handle their problems. You see, rum eliminated the need to feel. It numbed the pain of laboring away in the sugar fields and injected a false sense of excitement into our community. It became the main focus for most of our gatherings which, from time to time, ended in bitter family quarrels. It became a rite of passage and a deadly game of show me how much you can drink. As we come to a close, we want to take a moment to express our sincere appreciation for the support from all of our listeners. Now, my name is Ryan Navinja Ramdin, and together with my partner, the artist Sarasati Ramprashad, we bring to you the Peppa Pot.
1: In this podcast, we explore the legacy of Indo Caribbean people and the survivors of Indian indentureship. As children of the Guyanese diaspora, we are paying homage to our ancestral roots through this body of creative work.
0: So, What can you expect from the Peppa Pot? Well, join us on Sundays as Sarasati and I unpack the untold history of Guyana through narrative storytelling in Season 1. We share the story of Indian indentureship, discuss our experiences as first-generation Guyanese Canadians, and unapologetically confront some of the most pressing issues facing the Indo-Guyanese community.
1: As newcomers to the podcasting world, we're eager to hear your thoughts. What did you like about this episode? What do you want to hear more of? Your feedback is invaluable to us, so don't hesitate to shoot us an email at thepeppapot at gmail.com. Your encouragement helps us grow and learn more about you, our audience.
0: And for those of you who just can't get enough of our grand story, we encourage you to check out the resources listed in the description below. Who knows what stories and discoveries await you?
1: Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook at The Peppapot Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning into this episode and we'll see you again on the Peppa Pot next Sunday.